Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep need. Today on the podcast, I got to talk to three of the counseling faculty at Asbury Seminary, Dr. Toddy Holman, Dr. Steve Stratton, and Dr. LaCleisha Izzard. We talked about the ways that 2020 has affected all of our mental health, some ways that we can practice self-care and God care, how we can incorporate that into our daily lives, even though our routine may still be constantly changing, and some signs and symptoms when it's time to look to another person, a counselor, to help us with our mental health. They even offer some online options so that you can find the help that you need in the area that you live. I'm so grateful for today's conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Let's listen. Thank you all so much for being part of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast today. Um, I heard your community conversation in chapel, which I'll link to in the show notes that'll be below the show. And I thought we really must have three of our counseling faculty on the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. So Dr. Stratton, Dr. Izzard, and Dr. Holman, thank you so much for joining me today. I've really been looking forward to this conversation about mental health, how we can practice self-care, and what's, what to look for in ourselves to know when, we, when counseling may need to be part of that. So thank you for taking the time to be on the show today. Glad to be here. So before we jump right into questions, I'd like to go around and give you all an opportunity to introduce yourselves uh, and give some of your areas of expertise, partly so because nobody will be able to see you. So partly so we learn to recognize who's talking with the voices, but also just so we know who we're chatting with today. So if we could start with you, Dr. Stratton, and then Dr. Holman and Dr. Izzard, that would be great. I am a professor of Counseling and pastoral care here at the seminary have been here for a long time, <laughs> uh, at least in Wilmore. Uh, enjoy being a, an official Wilmoron as we uh, as we talk about it here, because uh, I've been now I, over over thirty years in the Wilmore community. So it's been a it's been a great place to be, and uh, and being part of this community, being part of the seminary, has been uh, a wonderful part of uh, the last about 14 or 15 years of that and uh, and have enjoyed the opportunity to to work with students and that are preparing for ministry of some sort uh, whether that's that's uh, ministry in a church or counseling ministries in the church or beyond the church uh, this is just a wonderful way to begin to help people prepare for what they're moving into in the world sounds good dr Holman yeah, um, I have been at the seminary officially longer than Dr. Stratton. That's true. Although not nearly as long in uh, the greater Lexington, Wilmore area. So I have really enjoyed uh, teaching at the seminary, teaching in the area primarily of clinical counseling more than pastoral counseling, uh, and working with the students there on things. So, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Well, welcome, Dr. Izzard. 
Thank you. And I'm so excited to be here. So I would have to say against my esteemed colleagues <laughs> that are right near me that I'm the baby associate <laughs> professor <laughs> of counseling at Asbury Theological Seminary. But I am overwhelmed and just excited to be a part of the Asbury family. I do have a background as a practitioner in mental health counseling for about more than 15 years. I've also been teaching hybrid for about five years. But I'm excited to be a part of a place that I can truly call home and feel a great fit because God has always been number one and the center of my life. And Heidi, I'm just so excited about you all and how you're embracing mental health as mental health is a passion of mine. And I realize that we are currently in a mental health crisis. So I'm excited for us to dive in and to speak about these self-care strategies and tips because I know that they're going to be valuable for so many people. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking the time and I'm sure our conversation will be really helpful to our listeners as well. Um, you kind of led right into this since almost a year ago from the date we're recording. Um, the world has just changed dramatically, first with uh, the COVID pandemic, uh, the racial issues that we, that didn't just come to light, that didn't just happen in 2020, but I think came to everyone's attention in 2020. I think there was no way to say you didn't know anymore after that year. Um, and we had the presidential election as well and all that went along with that. So at least for me, and I think a good share of the population, we've been on active alert since last yeah. year um, and kind of in perpetual fight or flight mm -hmm. mode. So I'm curious, what was this year like for, for you guys? I'm going to start. Heidi, I think you really put some nice language, that idea of perpetual alert and fight and flight, especially at the beginning when like, there was no normal. We were all searching for some something that would anchor us in a normal something, which no longer was normal. There was there was no normal, and so part of the the alarm was where where is my new normal? I think most people. Okay, I'm just going to own this. Please do not disrupt my routines. I love my routines. They calm me down. They make me feel safe. And they were there. I mean, they were like within 24 hours, they were stripped. So for me, part of uh, finding a new normal was as quickly as possible, establishing the same routines that I could that I had 24 hours ago, which included things like my time with Jesus, my devotions, that nothing needed to disrupt that. Uh, I, I'm a, I like to walk so I could still walk outdoors. Uh, that was still there. Luckily it was spring and not in the deep midwinter, but yeah, that I was on alarm for several months ebbing and flowing. I mean, there would be times that I'd be just fine, especially if I was distracted by work, but it was more the moments when I was uh, literally quiet before the Lord that I would really sense how anxious I was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about the rest of you? I think for, for me, Toddy's describing it very well. And when I talk to 
my clients, when I talk to students, uh, when I talk to people in my church, uh, it's, it's a very similar sort of story where the things that, that were regular, the things that we typically gave us a, a feeling of structure that allowed us mm-hmm. to feel uh, maybe an illusion to some degree, but it's a helpful illusion that, that life is going to be predictable in some sense. And when that's stripped away, I feel like I've lost my secure base, my safe haven in many ways. Uh, and, and with that comes the kind of insecurity that Toddy's describing. And I felt, I certainly mm-hmm. felt that it was, it was like, uh, decisions that were oftentimes automatically made couldn't be automatically made. And so everything took more effort, everything took more energy. And I found myself more tired, uh, by the heavier oh. burden that was, uh, that I was carrying in those situations. And even though I knew, uh, had a sense because I talked with clients about this all the time, uh, of what was going on, the, that doesn't ne- the knowledge of it doesn't necessarily mitigate the experience of it. It, it helps me kind of understand it, but it, it doesn't take away the burdensomeness of it. And, and so for me, part of it was, was having to, to reintroduce just very basic things about, about the way I slept and and how I and how I exercised and how I uh, what I ate and uh, all of those all of those very basic things had to be rethought for me uh, and that was kind of laying the foundation mm-hmm. for the other things that I needed to build on after that point. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds, sounds good. And for me, you know, the experience was a little different, Heidi. Um, once the pandemic began. Because I was in a major leadership role as president of a local counseling association, which is the American Counseling Association of Georgia. So actually, I was already in a fast paced rhythm and routine um, being the primary leader of this organization. And because our organization is new, um, I'm a founding member of that organization. Much of the responsibility was on me. So I had to immediately identify what the needs were going to be as it related to the counselors, counselor students, and counselor educators across the state of Georgia and what that was going to look like for them and make sure that I was able to provide some support and provide some resources because, of course, I knew as a mental health practitioner that we were definitely getting ready to see some rises as it related to mental health challenges in the clients and the students as well as in the counselors. And so that's where immediately my mind had to go to and I had to prepare events and get those events established and complete those Hmm. events. And then in the midst of that, just within a couple of months, then we had the George Floyd murder. Hmm. And so, um, and Ahmaud Arbery right here in Georgia. So then again, my mind had to revamp again. And I had to see what was most relevant and what was most important to to bring to the counselors and counselor students and counselor educators across the state of Georgia. And so I was able to stay in a routine. And I really didn't get a chance to think about COVID until towards the end of my presidency. (laughs) I was so focused on serving, so focused on serving. And I'm a servant leader at heart. And so I really do go all in and all out. And so I'm just grateful to God that he was able to continue to speak to me uh, during that time and that I continued my self-care during that time because that helped me to finish out my presidential term in a successful manner and helped so many people. 
Yes, yes. I'm glad you brought up your own self-care because each of you serves others, you know, like sees, serves students, sees clients, mm-hmm. um, is serving as president. <laughs> Dr. Izzard, I feel stressed just <laughs> hearing about all that you would have had to do with everything that was going on in the world. Is it easier for you guys to navigate these crises that we're going through because you're counselors and know all the things to do? Or or is it because I feel like in that way, you guys might be kind of like superheroes to be able to navigate all of this. But I understand that you're that you're human as well and would experience these things in a similar way to what I would experience. You know, um, does that does that make sense? Yeah, let me jump on what Dr. Stratton, what Steve emphasized was just because we know stuff doesn't mean we are uh, immune from the the reactions, the human reactions of of uncertainty, of fear, of uh, alarm. The beauty of knowledge, though, is being able to more quickly access what I know and put it into practice that I think all of us value self-care and and valued self-care prior to the pandemic happening. So definitely all of us, and maybe differently, but all of us already had self-care habits mm-hmm. that were that were well rehearsed and well practiced. And that's one of the things we emphasize in our counseling program from the first classes right through graduation is we basically insist that students develop um, self-care strategies, uh, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, um, so that when they get out in the field, they will, again, have well-rehearsed practice self-care habits that will support them. Um, So, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I felt... I can remember distinctly remember going to the grocery store and saying to my literally saying to myself, I'm taking my life in my hands, picking out onions. What's wrong with this picture? Yes. I the first time I went to the grocery store um, and actually went in and did a click list, it was early on because they didn't have something on the click list. So I had to go in and we were all wearing masks at that point. And I and nobody was looking at each other. And I went early in the morning, not during the vulnerable category, but as soon as I could after that. And I just walked through the grocery store and wanted to cry because it was all so weird. And I remember maybe a second trip in a few weeks later, there was an employee there and she greeted me like it was normal. And we were far away, but I was like, bless you because you have established some sense of normalcy to this awful thing that I now have to do because nobody wants to talk to me. Yeah. I think one of the things that that Toddy's mentioning uh, when it comes to self-care practices is that it's not very helpful to start your self-care practices when the crisis hits. I mean, that's, that, mm, I mean, yeah. it, that may do some good, <laughs> but the reality is if you're not already practicing when the crisis hits, then it's very likely that you're not going to get the full benefit of that training. And that's, that's part of the thing we talk about with our students is that we, we want them to begin training here for the things they're going to do when they're in practice out there. Because they can't, we can't expect them to get much benefit if they just learn about it here and start to practice it later. They've got to start training now, and I, I found that to be true for my life. And uh, during the pandemic times, 
during these times where we've seen the racial uh, sort of situations that have left us all feeling insecure and unsettled. Uh, when we've seen all the political wrangling and the uproars uh, around these kind of things, it's kind of like the world has become has come off of its moorings to some degree. And uh, if we were not practicing uh, self-care to this point, yes, we need to be starting now. But the reality is we have to we have to be careful. We have to be uh, we have to be aware that uh, self-care is something we need to be doing all along, not just in the difficult moments. Right. That's a good word. Absolutely. Do you have anything to add, Dr. Izzard? Yes. I want to make sure we hear from everyone, but don't want to put pressure on anyone to chime in if if they're like, I'm good. Absolutely. Uh, Steve and Tati and I, we're usually in sync. But we absolutely, that is what we teach our students. That is what I teach my mentees. That is what I teach my supervisees, is that we want to stay in a place of intentionality when it comes to self-care, meaning it needs to be scheduled, Heidi. You have to schedule your self-care time in and nothing can interfere with that. And sometimes that can be challenging for individuals with a spouse, individuals with children. I'm single and that's still something I thank God for that I can spend as much time with him as possible. But I know that that's not the case for all individuals. And so I still have to be intentional. I still have to schedule it in because I'm doing so many purpose-filled and service-related things. And so I do understand when individuals have families and they have to balance that. But I still encourage them. If you have to get up early in the morning, five o'clock in the morning before the house gets up, the children, the husband, and things get to moving around or you have to cook breakfast, whatever time of quietness and stillness you can find for yourself is going to be essential. That exercise time is so important. That's something that I was so grateful for that because the pandemic, everything started with the restrictions in March of last year. So we're coming up on that year anniversary. And so for some individuals, there may be a PTSD even related response because we're just two weeks away from all of what happened on last year. But when that happened, the weather was beautiful here in Georgia. And so even though the gyms closed, I was able to get out and do what I consider a faith walk, a nature walk, and talk to God. I was able to dance on my walks. I was able to jog on my walks. And all of that was a benefit to helping me stay balanced and to helping me physically as well as mentally and emotionally. So again, being intentional about that self-care. And that was something I was already practicing. So like Steve said, that makes all the difference when crisis hits, because this is already a part of you. It's it's innate, you might as well say, Mm -hmm. because you've been doing it and practicing it for so long. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really interesting as we're talking about these things, the... um, we probably ought to to not assume that everybody who's listening to us uh, appreciates self care. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, as I talk about this idea within churches, uh, often, often, uh, well, not not often, but it's not unusual. Uh, it's certainly not a rare occurrence that people will come up afterwards, or might even raise their hand during the presentation and say something along the lines of, "Self care is selfish." That self-care oh, is yeah, not a biblical yeah. concept because it, it just means that you're self-absorbed and you're thinking only of yourself in these things. And uh, 
and trying to help people understand that self-care is nothing more than, as LaCletia was indirectly pointing out, self-care is nothing more than creating space for God's care, to, to receive the care that God wants to give to us. And if, if we are not establishing that foundation of creating space for God to be able in His grace to continue to give to us, then oftentimes we become obstacles to that grace. And so self-care is really just, as, as Lucretia has explained, is opening ourselves up to God's movement in our lives. And uh, all of the practices are just about creating space for God's grace to flow into our lives so that then we are able to kind of let that grace overflow into the world and to the lives of other people who are around us. Otherwise, if we're not doing that, we are not going to be good for others around us either. So, and again, I don't know, Todd and LaCletia, you may have heard some of those comments from other people as well. Well, I know that certainly is an attitude that many have to wrap their minds around in terms of, I think about it as God has given me this body and I'm the only one that can take care of it. No one else, you know, unless I'm incapacitated and in the hospital and then others have to do the caregiving for my physical being. You know, I'm the only one that can make choices about what I put in my mouth and what I eat. I'm the only one that can make choices about how much sleep I get, unless you have children or pets or spouses that interrupt your sleep. Um, You know, no one else can go exercise for me, can go walking for me. No one else can have devotions for me. So these are ways that I think about taking care of the, the, the temple that the Holy Spirit lives in so that uh, I don't engage in deferred maintenance. And we know that that's not a good practice for our homes and shouldn't be a good practice for our bodies as well. Absolutely. And, and like Steve said, it's about God care, you know? So if you feel like you're not as comfortable with the term self-care, then absolutely God care. Because just as Tati said, God has blessed us with this temple. And it is our responsibility to take care of it. That's still a part of our sanctification, okay? As we're growing in our relationship with God, He wants us to take care of our physical bodies as well as our mental and emotional health because they're all connected. Mm-hmm. And like Steve said, if we're not taking care of our physical, mental, and emotional states of ourselves, we will not be effective to be able to take care of others and serve others. Think about all of the things that I was just saying that I was doing once COVID hit. If I had not already been taking care of myself, would I have been able to continue to press through and still be energetic and still be full with joy and hope going through that process to be able to help so many counselors and counselor students and counselor educators across the state of Georgia? Absolutely not. So we have to learn how to take care of ourselves and allowing God to teach us even more about what that looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, one, Absolutely. Like those are good, yeah. good words. Go ahead, Dr. Holman. One of the things that I, I think happens when we get into these unprecedented multiple crises times, because boy, that's what we ended up with. You know, as you talk about the pandemic and then the racial unrest leading right into the presidential 
and electoral unrest. You have crises, you know, uncertainty upon uncertainty upon uncertainty, which sends us all into some level of fight, flight, freeze. You get to add to freak and fawn mode. So we're, and when you get there, you can't think clearly. Your decision making process. Um, your body, you are too busy being self-protected. It's just how God has created us. So we all close in instead of opening. And so those self-care practices help us manage our brain. It's like be the boss of your brain um, to calm ourselves down and then to be able to anchor in Jesus. Uh, it's it's a, a both and process. Jesus is there for me to anchor into and he will bid me come walk on the water. But I'm the one that has to get out of the boat. <laughs> I'm the one that has to cooperate. So I have my part of this to do in tangent, you know, along with looking to God to be that safe haven and secure base for me when everything is topsy turvy. Yeah. I think theologically, we, we connect it to the idea of stewardship and uh, that we're talking about being a steward of our bodies, our brains, uh, as well as the other relationships that we have around us. And, and that's what, that's what self-care uh, and that idea of self-care as creating the space for God's care of us so that we are not self-protective. We're not burying our talent as the parable talks about. You know, we are, we are, we are actually involved in investing. We can't do that if we are in that fight or flight sort of process. Mm-hmm. And so these, it's a stewardship sort of uh, theological stance that we're trying to articulate, I think. I think I want to tag on here as well that we've been talking about practices that we can do as individuals, but another important piece about this is the relationality. Who are you surrounding yourself with? The other people in your environment, because their brain may be calm at a time your brain is going wacko. That's a technical psychological. (laughs) (laughs) And often we become sources of safety and security for one another uh, to help not only self-regulate, but offer regulation to those around us who are meaningful connections to us. So, I, I, you know, I know while we were, you know, quarantining at home and healthy at home, as we were saying in Kentucky, connection with my faculty colleagues was really important, even if it it was Zoom-mediated as we shared our stories and our struggles and our own fears, but then came back. And even in that process, uh, since I'm talking to other counselors, we have a way of engaging one another that doesn't increase alarm, but helps reduce alarm. Absolutely. Hmm. And to put a name to what Tati is saying, Heidi, peer support. Mm-hmm. is definitely another strategy of self-care. So that's with your colleagues, that's with your closest, immediate loved ones, your close-knit circle. I had a strong support system absolutely during that time as well. So even though I couldn't see them physically, I was able to connect with them over the telephone via Zoom, you know, FaceTime, all this good technology we have now. But that peer support is essential and it takes us back to what the word says as it relates to 
iron sharpening iron, Proverbs 27 and 17. So we have to be mindful that we do need those connections, as Tidy was speaking about. What we're doing today, this is still peer support. This is going out to all of the individuals across the seminary. They will hear this conversation. They will hear what we're saying. They'll make those connections. So we absolutely need peer support. During my presidential term, that was something that I did create during that time was counselor peer support groups to assist the counselors with having that connection and talking about some of their feelings and and, and what they were going through during the time of the pandemic and the questions that they had to ask and answer and to talk even more about their self-care practices and what they were doing and were not doing. So the Mm -hmm. peer support is an essential part of self-care. Yeah, absolutely. I've never been so grateful for technology as I have been the last year to be able to still connect with people even in different ways. So that's just been huge for me. Um, You guys are in the field. I've only read news articles about this, but how how have you seen the pandemic intensify people's experiences of anxiety, depression, and anger, or identified other mental health gaps? There is no shortage. <laughs> I'm sure. I, you know, I think you began talking about it, Heidi, to begin with. Number one, those things that we had built in as routines were no longer there. So even yes. folks that felt... You know, I'm a, I'm a relatively calm and uh, calm individual. Not, I'm not going to own that for myself. My colleagues might challenge <laughs> that perception, <laughs> illusion on my part. But even for those um, who have fairly solid mental health, there was this sense of unknown and unknowing because the whole world in our lifetime had never gone through a pandemic. So. The fact that I was feeling anxious, it never arose to a clinical level, but I was feeling anxious. Um, I'm not sure that I went through any sort of depression, but I certainly did feel anxiety. And I know for um, my own students, one of the things that as a faculty, I know we were very concerned about was the well-being of our students, those who were residential on the Kentucky campus uh, who were living in seminary housing, especially for single students, may have had more restrictions or not with their families. That creates alarm. And so, yes, I think there's well documented an increase in levels of depression and anxiety and suicidality as while, while technology connects, it, there's also isolation in that connection. Absolutely. Yeah, I think one of the things that I come back to with a lot of the people that I'm working with uh, is uh, is is uh, something you mentioned, Heidi, early on, and that is the loss that they've experienced, mm, and yeah. you know that that sense of loss, there that bereavement that may be uh, it would certainly be evident when we've lost loved ones, or, um, but it, it may not be a a the loss of a physical uh, or a, a relational. Status. It may be. It may be a loss of just some of the things we've come to expect. Uh, the loss of regularity. The loss of of uh, a lot of different aspects that we are grieving. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think we've all understood 
the impact of grief on our lives. It's uh, it's a powerful, powerful uh, emotional and physical and spiritual sort of dynamic that uh, we as human beings uh, uh, can't get away from in loss. It's it's not like if you're strong, you don't have grief. That, that's strong or weak. It doesn't matter. Grief is just a part of our experience when we lose something. And and I think that's that's an important understanding that that the anxiety, the de- the things that feel like depression, uh, some of these other pieces are are in some sense normalized when we begin to realize that it's a it's just a response to the loss mm-hmm. that is pervasive. Now we've got a grieving culture right now for mm-hmm. so many different reasons. Some of the things and uh, and so we've got to let that inform us that we've. We need a, a kind of a grief-informed approach to uh, to everything that goes on in our family lives, in our church lives, in our institutional lives. We've got to be aware that everything is kind of mid, uh, is is coming through that that screen of grief, and ho- hopefully, it allows us to be a little bit more patient and caring of one another. Uh, but if nothing else, it, it should inform us that that we are all hurting. Uh, and are trying to get back to a place where where we are uh, where the grief is no longer the dominant sort of experience for us. Well, you know, grief is one of those things that never leaves us. We are going to be changed. We're going to be different, and, and that's just expected. But um, so it's not about getting beyond it. We will always have this experience we carry with us as a result of these things. But but there the the. Uh, in, incapacitation or the intense experience does tend to go away as we find new stability. We find a way of uh, getting our feet firmly planted again. You know, I've been very aware that as I talk about, you know, my own anxiety, that for all of us, even on this podcast, we still have jobs, we still have homes. So I am not living with an eviction notice hanging over my head. I am not living with unemployment, wondering when will the unemployment check end. I'm not living with food insecurity. And will I be, do I have to, do I pay the bills or do I feed my family or do I buy my medicine? I have not experienced that. And I can only in my heart just grieve that there are so many who may be listening to this podcast or know others who are, where those anxieties aren't just generalized existential anxieties. Those are, you know, hard and fast, real fears about, will I be living on the street? Uh, will I be able to, to, to put food on the table? Will, what job will I have if I will have a job? Um, so I, I just want to name those those true realities. There's so many people, and some even some of our seminary students who have had to make, make a choice about I may not be able to afford tuition because I don't have a job anymore, or I have to support other wings in my family. Absolutely, goes back to those Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs and realizing that when those basic needs are not met, such as food, shelter, water, that how can we then expect individuals to be at a place of mental health, you know, because that's where their anxiety and their challenge is rooted in that. 
And much of the research was saying as it related to COVID-19 that it became public anxiety. And literally it did. So whether or not you were experiencing it directly as what Toddy was mentioning about or what Steve was mentioning about indirectly. And so many of us have experienced secondary traumatic stress because it's just been mm-hmm. so much that we've been seeing with the death toll, with you know what the individuals are experiencing around the world and here in our country. And so we could not escape it. And so we have been indirectly traumatized also by COVID, even if not directly. And looking at the grief part of it, you know, there are many individuals who are experiencing the five stages of grief, you know, denial and bargaining and hopefully getting to acceptance. But depression is a part of that. Anger is a part of that. Some individuals know they're experiencing it and some individuals don't. Like Steve said, that's not something we can escape either, whether you're aware of it or not. It's helpful if you're aware of it because you're able to allow yourself to grieve and to work through those stages, which hence professional counseling can really help you to grow through grief and to get to a place of healing. But again, you have to then be able to allow yourself to grieve, especially life as we once knew it, because we are living in a new norm. And there are individuals Mm -hmm. who are still in denial about that. And you keep hearing, oh, I can't wait for things to get back to normal or or post-COVID this and post-COVID that. No, things are not going to go back to the way that it was. We will be in a place prayerfully that is better, but we are now in a virtual world. This is a virtual world now. And many individuals, they're having learning curves and different things related to it. But this is a part of where we're going and it's going to continue to grow. We've never seen so many virtual events and virtual this and virtual that happening because we are in a new norm. And we have to be able to grieve life as we once knew it. There was a time we didn't have to be conscious about wearing our mask and having sanitizer in our car and having antibacterial wipes in our car. I went to the salon on Friday and got all the way there with no mask. And I said, what? I know I didn't forget my mask. How did I do that? (laughs) And then I thought about it and I said, okay. Every store is just about selling disposable masks now, okay? You just need to wrap something tight around your face and get in there and get your disposable mask. But it (laughs) lets you know that we're in a new norm again, and we have to be able to accept that new norm and allow ourselves to grieve what we once knew as our norm before. Yes, yes. I'm glad you guys mentioned this, Uh, mentioned the part about Uh, Whether we're aware or not, we have to process through it. So I want to talk a little bit to the the person listening who may have been thinking, I think I need to incorporate counseling as part of a practice for me. Or, And then also, this is kind of two questions in one, which they tell you in journalism school, don't do. But I think they're together. So... But also the person who, how to start recognizing signs in yourself so you do become aware. Um, Because I know for me, I'm married, so I have somebody else who is great and will gently tell me, hey, I see this and this that's happening. Are you really okay? But not everybody has that. So how can we recognize in ourselves that, that we may need something? Or if we've been thinking about it, how do we take that next step? One of the 
the markers might for the fact that I really need to reach out beyond my peer support network could be to what extent are your daily living habits being impacted? Uh, Sleeping too much or not sleeping enough? Eating too much or not eating enough? Uh, Being hyperactive because if you slow down, you're aware of what's inside or being totally apathetic because you just can't generate the energy. So some of those uh, um, daily living and physiological markers that if if there is no bounce back, uh, we all have that ebb and flow with our sleeping and our eating and our energy level. But if it's a persistent nosedive from what normal is, that could be a really good sign uh, that getting additional help, even if it's starting with your your uh, general practitioner, to make sure that physiologically things are that there's nothing something there's nothing physiological that's contributing. Kind of a ruling out could be really really helpful. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe if Absolutely. folks around you are saying, you know, maybe you might think about getting counseling, that could also be another good indicator. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also, I'm also thinking too about just kind of the signs of depression and anxiety that has taken and, and um, anger that kind of have taken it from maybe normal human responses of being of being worried about certain things kind of to the clinical level. Could we, as you guys answer your questions, could we talk a little bit about those as well? Absolutely. Signs and symptoms are always there, Heidi. Um, many times, again, individuals may not be aware um, because they feel like it's things that they've been experiencing over time. And many people have been in chronic exhaustion and stress over time. But there are things such as uh, pains, aches and pains, back aches headaches, you know, things that have been consistent or that even pop up out of the blue an individual feels like maybe there. Um, irritability. Um, this comes from when you're snapping off the closest person, snapping their head off that's closest to you. And, you know, we call it displacement of anger uh, as well. And you're like, hey, you know, are you doing all right? Is everything okay? Um, being on edge, you know, hypervigilance, you know, not knowing what's going to happen and having concern about that and, and where these different things are going to change. Lack of interest. You know, not wanting to um, be creative, not wanting to be a part of hobbies. We know that with COVID, some of those things are limited, but even the things that you can do, you know, not having an interest level in that. And so we have so many feeling helpless and hopeless. But I think one of the things for um, individuals to understand is that they can do some self-assessments, you know, on their own. You know, there are many major organizations out here like Mental Health of America, National Alliance for Mental Illness. They have, you know, these self-assessments on their website that you can go to and take a quick, quick self-assessment and it's going to let you know you know, where some of your levels are as it relates to some of these symptoms. And that can also help you. And then letting you know that you need to seek professional counseling or seek some help so that someone can help work through that with you. So Mm -hmm. there are, the warning signs are usually always there. The symptoms are always there, but we still have to be intentional with taking some self-assessments. And we also have to be intentional about being still 
so that we recognize what's really going on with us. And as Toddy said, if your daily functioning is being impacted, you're realizing that you're not able to do your daily routines as you would normally do it. You have cloudy thinking, meaning there's no clarity in your thinking. You can't concentrate on certain things. All of those are related symptoms. But again, there's so many, Heidi. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad you said that some of them were likely already there Mm pre-COVID, pre-2020, all of that. Because in my own life, like everyone else, I feel like 2020 sent everything that was in me into overdrive. Mm -hmm. So so it's coming out. Whereas maybe before I could keep it kind of controlled, contained, maybe even tamped down. Although I don't Mm -hmm. think that that is a good thing, but I can, you know, I can manage it and like suppress it. But in, I was just like, no, no. And that went back to many people were sharing. I'm sorry, Toddy. I'll just say this one thing. Many people were sharing about being in marriages and hadn't spent that amount of time with their spouse, you know, before. And so many individuals started to say, well, I realized I really didn't like, I don't like my spouse that much. Or I realized I needed to work on some things really within me so that I can really get to know who my spouse is. So it's just like what you were saying, Heidi. Many of those things were already going on, but COVID and the quarantining piece, it just amplified, magnified what those things were that individuals were brushing off as they were going about their busy routines and busy days. Go ahead, Tony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's exactly where I was going with Lucretia that, you know, people, people were anxious before COVID-19 and found their, their routine helped them stay wrapped together but they knew they were anxious and then COVID-19 just unwrapped everything. And so their, their anxiety went skyrocketing and their functioning went downhill. And it was just this mm-hmm. negative thing. So we saw it in students, students that we already knew were anxious about academic things um, who were challenged meeting deadlines on a good day, found that COVID-19 really derailed them academically where Mm-hmm. They were not attending to any deadline. They could barely get uh, figure out how to get on Zoom or be be on Zoom. Um, now, many, 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 many have already found their footing, but that was just an example. It was all, it was a pre existing condition. It would be, is what we would call it that just got magnified with the pandemic. Um, but you already asked. You also asked the question about finding a counselor. Yes. Yes. I was going to circle back to that. So I'm glad you did. And I I just want to say, I think we've lost Dr. Stratton. So hopefully he'll be able to, uh, the internet or whatever is going on, work work that out and hop back on. But I just, he's not just being silent for people listening who can't see, <laughs> see what's actually happening. So hopefully he'll be back with us shortly. But yes, yeah, so if we could talk about how to find a good counselor. So one of the, the play, one of the things you can do is Ask your pastor. Uh, one of the things that I like to, when I am with MDiv students, tell them take take counselors in your area out to lunch. Um, get to make, well, that's that would have been pre COVID nineteen, right? But get to <laughs> ask more senior co- uh, clergy in your area who do they refer to, so that you can feel comfortable as clergy or the pastor in your church. Um, 
to offer referrals to your members who are asking for them or say it from the pulpit. If any of, if you preach it, it'll be okay to talk about it. And so if you Mm. talk about depression and anxiety from the pulpit and talk about it being okay to go get mental health support, that makes it okay. And it reduces the stigma um, of that. So ask your friends. Uh, So if you don't, if you're uncomfortable doing that, um, the many of the organizations like um, the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists, on their website, aamft.org, they have a function that's called Therapist Finder. Oh, nice. And of course, you can you know, search by geography, search by city. You will get AAMFT members. <laughs> Um, but that's, that's another thing. If you could just Google better health is a virtual service that's across the country. So you can tap into better health. That, that's the name of it. Isn't it? Lucretia? Is it better? Yes, health? You're correct. Yes. Yeah. I think, are you saying better help or better health? Better help. H E L P. Okay. And it's actually global. So it's all over. Oh, the that's country. awesome! Yeah, all over. Yes, the and we'll link to all these resources in the show notes too, so that people can listening can reach out if they would like to. Absolutely, and that's all telemental health. So it would be all via the internet, counseling via the internet. And the other piece about you know when it comes to looking for a therapist, and this is why I'm so sleepy this morning, you all. But I was on the phone most of the night with a minister friend who's been a minister for more than 20 years. And I've encouraged her. She was actually a former student of mine as well. And I've encouraged her to move on and and get her master's. And so she's learning a lot about psychology and counseling. (laughs) And so she realized, she said, you know, I believe I need counseling. (laughs) So we, of course, had this long conversation on last night. But one of the things I spoke to her about, too, is utilizing her relationship with Christ. You know, allow God to lead you you know, to that person. Yeah, I can give you some of the tips as far as the organizations that are out here. Also Counseling Today, that's another one that you can go on and search counselors in your local area and, and look at their specialty areas and their credentials and all of those things. But I told her, even before you start that process, you want to talk to God about it. I said, and you want to talk to him so that he Mm -hmm. can lead and direct you and allow the Holy Spirit to give you that comforting that you need as it relates to pursuing counseling and connecting you with the right fit. Because we do, we want to be connected Mm -hmm. with individuals who are culturally competent, you know, that understand the faith-based piece, that understand faith integration, and especially, you know, when we have individuals that have a strong faith base like us and we have clergy, individuals who are ministers or pastors or missionaries, you know, it's important for faith to be included in their treatment. And so absolutely going to God, mm-hmm. going to the father and talking to him about leading you and then going to these places that Tati mentioned. And like I mentioned about counseling today and watch God connect you, watch him do it. Yeah. I think just about every counselor that I know has a website. And so if you just Googled your city and, you know, licensed. So for everybody out there who's not steeped in the world of licensure, 
You could search for a licensed psychologist. You can search for a licensed marriage and family therapist. You can search for licensed professional counselors, which is who we train at Asbury. You can search for licensed clinical social workers. Um, Those would be the folks out there who would have a virtual office that you wouldn't even have to leave your house to have appointment (laughs) these days. Now, some places they are doing face-to-face appointments again, but not every place. But again, just searching the internet, uh, counselors will describe themselves on the internet. So is is that some a good fit for you? And I will say that the research about good outcomes in counseling really emphasizes the quality of the counselor-client relationship. So if you start out with someone and you don't get a good sense in yourself about this relationship, bail and find somebody else. Don't hang out there for six sessions um, still feeling uncomfortable. So mm. it, may t- yeah, I'm glad you- it may take a while to find someone that's a good fit for you, who's respectful of faith. Um, and who's knowledgeable to treat the issues that you're bringing it to the table. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Stratton, I'm glad to have you back with us again. Technology is great when it works, isn't it? (laughs) So so it took me this long to get back in. Sorry about that. No worries. We're glad to have you. We're uh, just talking about how to find a good counselor. And so that's kind of where we are in this conversation. Um, but Dr. Holman was just talking about finding a good fit uh, with your counselor. And I'm glad you said that because I think, because um, I just started um, with BetterHelp. So I'm glad you recommended that one. So I just started reaching out to a counselor. My first experience, um, I was like, this isn't a good fit for me. And so I I did request to change counselors, but also I think maybe being raised as a Christian woman, I was like, oh, I feel kind of bad about this, Mm -hmm. you know, to be like, I'm not enjoying this. This isn't going to work for me. And so I'm glad you kind of are empowering people to move, to move on and do what's best for them. That's Mm -hmm. important. And don't hang out for, you know, it should be a good fit within the first two sessions. Right. Now, the research would suggest that clients make the greatest uh, increase in get feeling better within the first six sessions. And then Mm -hmm. unless it's severe trauma, yeah, severe PTSD, it's going to be a slower, much slower pace. But you should be able to feel good about your connection, feel like your uh, counselor understands you, understands the goals that you want understands the faith, if that's what you want to include and is at least respectful of your faith and asks about it, if that is what you're interested in having as part of the conversation. Um, Yeah, so be empowered. We all know as licensed professionals that we are not going to help everybody. We're not going to be the best fit for everybody. It just is. It is. So be empowered to find the person that's going to be the best fit for you. Yeah, there is a certain humility about being a counselor, realizing exactly what Toddy just said, that I, I'm not going to be able to help everybody. I'm not going to be effective with everyone. There are other people out there in the community that will be able to help this person better than I. And so 
I would just say, you know, that if you've got a healthy counselor and you're saying we don't fit, that's not a that's not a personal accusation uh, or a professional sort of uh, mm. indictment. It's just saying, you know, thank you very much, but I think I'm going to try to find someone else uh, that that is a better fit for me as I enter into this. And besides, I'm paying for it, so I need to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's just good financial stewardship right. if we want to go back to that term again. So, <laughs> right, right. I want to be mindful of everyone's time. Um, but before we wrap this up, and we have one question that we ask everyone. So, before we wrap that up, though, um, is there anything else you'd like to mention that we haven't already talked about? I can't think of anything, but I was gone for periods of time, so I assume my esteemed colleagues have covered everything very, very well. (laughs) (laughs) I think so, but I just want to give that opportunity. I'm good. All right. So the last question that we always ask everyone, because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast, what is one practice, spiritual or otherwise, that is helping you thrive in your life right now? Um, I am a major walker, W-A-L-K-E-R. I love to walk and it's free (laughs) and it's easy. And so um, I can combine walking and praying. And so that's one of the consistent practices that I have maintained. That's good. Mm, good. good For me, it's a little similar uh, to Heidi. You know, mine would be exercise and meditation. And so for me, you know, going to the gym or going outside, jogging and running, during that time, I'm also listening to faith-filled messages. I'm listening to inspirational music. I'm talking to God, you know, at the same time. And so all of that is meditation for me, as well as uh, working on my physical body at the same time, which releases those beautiful chemicals. We like to call endorphins in the brain, those happy chemicals. And so all of that is a benefit. And that's something I try to do at least six days a week. And so that is intentional and a part of my self-care plan. And I think one of the things we mentioned before about that peer support, that connection uh, with others is something I think that truly helps me to thrive. And I wanted to share a scripture reference too, as we're coming to a close is Proverbs 15 and 22. And it speaks about without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And so, again, I think that just takes us back to what we're doing right here in this conversation and realizing that we need counsel. We need to go through those self-care plans, but we also need other advisors. We need connections. We need other individuals around us to help us to succeed and to thrive. Mm. Absolutely. Dr. Stratton, how about you? I would say my... uh... Uh, the, the things that have helped me to thrive, particularly during this period of time, are things that are related to contemplative prayer. Uh, sometimes I'll do that walking. Sometimes I will mm. uh, do that uh, sitting. Uh, but contemplative prayer is really about training attention uh, so that I'm aware of God's presence uh, that is always in each moment and His invitation to be a part of, of life with Him in that, in that particular time and in that context. And so 
uh, that that sort of training for me in prayer has been uh, vital as I've tried to engage uh, this pan- these these this last year in particular. And uh, because for me, the, the, the centerpiece of that is recognizing that no matter what I'm going through and what I'm involved in, uh, he is always present. He is always active. He is always mm. loving. And, uh, and, and that, that, that keeps my perspective centered on the right things. No matter what is going on, uh, he is with me. Uh, in the midst of those things. And for me, mm-hmm. contemplative prayer is just practice over and over again of, of coming back to that reality that, uh, that he is present and he is real in these moments. Yeah, absolutely. Those are good words. Thank you all so much for your time today for our conversation about mental health, self-care, how we can incorporate counseling into our lives if that is needed. You guys have made it so easy and so accessible for it for us. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I've no doubt that those listening will benefit from it as well. So thank you all so very much. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Dr. Izzard, Dr. Stratton, and Dr. Holman. I can't tell you how grateful I am and how much I enjoyed this conversation. It's so needed right now, and I really appreciate how easy and accessible they made it for for me and for anyone listening to find a counselor that is a good fit for them. So if this conversation, you have been thinking about taking the next step to incorporate counseling into your life, but you haven't yet, or this conversation highlighted some, some gaps in your life, in your mental health that you're like, I would like to talk to somebody about that. Be sure to check out the links in our show notes. We've linked to everything that they mentioned to help you find a counselor that is a good fit for you. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks to Dr. Stratton, Dr. Holman, and Dr. Izzard for being part of the show. So grateful to them for their work and their gift to us today by offering us ways to find the help that we need. As always, you can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, go do something that helps you thrive.